0: Good evening. How we doing? Good? All right. Uh, let's go First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. We'll be uh, hanging out there tonight. Uh, so I, uh, I went to a really small high school, and uh, one year, actually in my senior year, uh, this new guy transferred in. So small enough to where everyone knew everybody. And so this new guy came in. His name was Josiah. And he seemed pretty cool and stuff like that. But after we came back from Christmas break, the only thing that anybody could talk about at my school was this album that this guy named Josiah had recorded over the break. And everyone was like raving in there, dude, his songs are so deep and meaningful. They're amazing. His voice is incredible. You've got to listen to his album. And it was just apparently this thing that he had uh, recorded at a friend's house on a MacBook and stuff like that. I was like doesn't sound all that awesome, but okay. And so I, I pick up a copy, and I listen to it, and I am blown away. I mean, it's honestly one of the best things I've heard in years. I mean, it's just incredible. And so uh, my dad was in the music in, in, industry, and so I would, I would always go up to him and talk to him about uh, music and stuff like that. So I brought this CD home, and I said, Dad, you got to listen to this guy's songs. Like, this guy is legit. And my dad starts listening, and 30 seconds into the first song, he goes that's not him I was like what do you mean that's not him he's like you said that this guy recorded this on a MacBook I was like yeah he goes it's way too polished his voice like like he's classically trained this this dude can like sing his runs like if this is a dude who's just like splicing stuff together like like that's I, like, I don't know who this is but that's not the guy that you're talking about I was like really okay And he's like, anyway, like, and then he's, like, walked off, and I was like, but there's something in me that kind of clicked, because something that you need to know about me is I'm, like, a high justice guy. So, like, when I see, like, wrong in the world, like, there's this instinctual thing of, like, someone has to pay for that, right? And so, all of a sudden, my, like, justice, like, mind starts to turn, and I'm thinking... If this guy's lying, Swin needs to get to the bottom and find out if this is true or not. So I just start googling like the lyrics of this guy, and so what pops up is a MySpace music. Remember that um, a MySpace music page for a guy named Rob Blackledge, who was this like indie artist out of Nashville. And so I see it and I click this song, and it's the song. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. And I click the next song and it's another song on the album, and the next song, and another. And what had happened is Josiah had taken this random, unknown guy's CD and burned it and told everyone that it was his. And so I call up my best friend, and I'm like, Trevor, you got to look up this guy named Rob Blackledge. And so he looks it up, and he's like, dude, this guy stole Josiah's music. <laughs> I was like, no, Josiah stole this guy's music. And he's like, that makes more sense. Yeah, Yeah, that's... <laughs> That, that tracks better, and so he's like, what do we do? I'm like, we got to say something, right? Because on top of this, this guy just telling everybody that it, it was him, he was also, like, walking around and, like, telling certain girls that he wrote the songs about them, right? So just super shady and, like, very high school, right? Like, high school, it's kind of cool, but like, I wrote you a song. Now it's like, that's creepy. Don't ever sing that for me, ever. Um, but high, high school, is like, yeah, cool, whatever. So he's, like, walking around telling everybody, yeah, baby, I wrote this song about you. And so I walk up to him, and I said, hey, man. I know. He goes, know what? I know about Rob Blackledge. And his face just turned like white as a sheet and he's like, all right, bro, like, look, it was a joke, and it got way out of hand, and I was trying to play a joke, and then this girl got excited, started telling her friends, and the next thing, th- th- thing I know, like, the whole school has a copy of it, I'm like, bro, you burned it for me, and, and he's like, he's like, and so, like, I don't know, like, I'm so, like, deep into it, I don't know how to get out, um, so I, I, I don't know, I was like, bro, like, you gotta come clean at some point, because, like, this is gonna find you out, at some point, you're gonna be at a party, and someone's going to hand you a guitar and say, hey, play that song, and you're going to look like a fool. I was like, so, bro, like, out of love, man, like, you got to come clean. And he's like, he's like, I know, I know. He's like, give me a week. Give me a week. I'm like, all right, man, cool. Like, I'll give you a week. I'm, I'm just saying, like, this isn't going to end well for you. And he's like, all right, I right, got it. So a week goes by, he hasn't done anything. And, and, and it's not that he, like, just, like, stopped talking about it. He'd actually, like, ramped it up even more. Like, he was talking about going on tour and, like, yeah, like, I'm going to travel around, play some shows, and people ask me to play. And so I go up to him. I'm like, bro, like, you're making it worse. Like, this is not going to end well for you. And he goes, I, 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 I know, I know. I'm sorry. Like, I'm just, it's just a lot. And I just, like, just one more week. Like, all right, one more week. I was like, but, dude, like, you got to come clean. And he's like, all right. Another week, week passed, same, same thing. So I decided to take matters into my own hands. Um, so what I did is I looked at Rob's tour schedule, and lo and behold, he was doing a tour through Texas. And there was a night off in between a show in Abilene and a show in Houston. And I was like, four was kind of on that path. So I emailed Rob, because no one knows who Rob is, right? He's just like a normal dude. And I said, hey, man, big fan I love your stuff. Uh, it'd be really cool if you were to come play a show in Fort Worth. If I could, like, book you a show, would you come play a show in Fort Worth? And he's like, yeah, that sounds awesome. I'll be there. I'm like, great. So me and my friends, we have never promoted something like this in our life. So we're making flyers. We're putting them all over the school, and we're like, dude, this guy's coming to town, he's awesome, you gotta hear him. And they're like, Rob Blackledge, who is this guy? I was like, you know like when you like, hear a song and you're like, that sounds so familiar, I feel like I've heard that song before. He's like one of those kind of guys, you know, where like you feel like you know every song he sings, but you don't. And uh, I, was like, I was like, he's awesome, you gotta come check it out. So everyone shows up, like all of our friends show up to this show, and Rob starts playing, the first song that he plays uh, is the song that everyone like knows, and as he starts playing, you could literally see every jaw in the room just hit the floor, because everyone's like, "I know that voice, I know that song, but that's not Josiah. Um, something is weird." And uh, needless to say, Josiah and I have not talked since that day. Um, ironically enough, he is also a pastor right now, is what I've heard. So. <laughs> The Lord changes hearts; and it's amazing. But anyway, here's the point of that story. Um, in one fail swoop, I just demolished a guy's integrity, his reputation. I did—I mean, I—I I, I did a really shady thing. Let's let's be honest, right? But it's because there was something in me when I saw a just deception and I saw injustice, there was something in me that said, that's not okay. That's not okay. Something needs to be done about that injustice. Like, that's not right, you know? And so maybe You haven't done anything quite that malicious, but on some level, I think we can all relate because there's something in us that when we see injustice in the world, when we see deception, when we see manipulation, when we see people taking advantage of others, when we just see these these really evil things in the world, there's something in us that says that's not okay. Something has to be done. They can't get away with that. That's not okay. And what happens is there's something in us that says, I want that person to pay. I wanna get even, I want something to be done. And so what typically happens is that when we experience that ourselves, or we see that happen to someone that we love that's close to us, there's just this natural inclination just to get even. And we'll just go to some, some pretty great links to retaliate because we'll just repay evil for evil or we'll repay an insult for an insult and there's just this thing where, right, we have to do something about it, we have to retaliate, right? It's just, that's, that's justice. And there's just something in us that just wants to get even. And I bring that up because we're going to read a text tonight where Peter is going to address this idea and say, hey, I know that when evil happens, that when mockery happens, that when insult happens, that when really shady stuff happens, when there's injustice in the world, our natural inclination is to get even. And he's going to say, but I have a better solution. As followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ in this room, if you're a child of God, man, there's a better way, there's a better option for us than just getting even. We're going to figure out what that is tonight. And my hope is that as we read, what happens is that the gospel does something to our hearts where we um, don't desire to address injustice in just this petty retaliation kind of way where we just want to get even. But there's something in us that changes the way that we respond to in justice, And so uh, with that being said, let's, let's dive in. I'm going to read uh, the whole chunk and then we'll um, break it down. This is 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 8. It says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing." Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do that with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. All right. There's a lot here. So let's... Uh, let's Let's break this down. Um, Peter starts off by calling us to do something that is next to impossible. That is next to impossible. he says, I want you to have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Now, now, those things aren't impossible in and of themselves, right? To be sympathetic is not all that hard. To be humble is not all that hard. To have unity and brotherly love and a tender heart, like those things like, aren't that hard, right? But in this context, in the context of what he's saying, this is incredibly Difficult, because you have to remember who he's talking to. He's, he's in the middle of this kind of long explanation that we are, we are exiles. And he says, hey, you are exiles, meaning you are a citizen of heaven. You belong to God, but you are living in this world that, that they're not fans of you. Right? And so he's speaking to people who are living in a context very similar to us where, where, where they're trying to follow Jesus. And because of their faith, because they're following Jesus, it's not popular. So they're experiencing persecution. They're experiencing these negative narratives that are being created about them. They're they're experiencing stigmas. They're experiencing all these hurtful, painful things. And he says, hey, in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this injustice, when things aren't fair, when people are after you in some, some really dark ways simply because you follow Jesus, in that context, I want you to have unity of mind. I want you to be sympathetic. I want you to show brotherly love. I want you to be tender hearted. I want you to have a humble mind. That's so hard. You know why? Because when we see or experience injustice, our natural inclination is to do the exact opposite. None of that is natural in the context of seeing or experiencing injustice. When you see or experience, you like manipulation Right? Or deceit or betrayal when someone stabs you in the back. Like, like when those things happen. When someone takes advantage of you, when you experience abuse, like our natural inclination is not these things, right? Like, have unity of mind. No, like when, when that happens, when I see or experience injustice, I don't want unity. I want to create a clear dividing line that separates me from them. I want everyone to know that I'm in the right and they're in the wrong. I don't want unity. I want very clear dividing lines. I don't want to be sympathetic. I don't want to show brotherly love, tenderhearted. Are you serious? This is not a time to be tenderhearted. This is a time to drop the hammer. This is a time to be harsh. This is a time for them to know exactly what they've done and how it's affected me. Right? To be humble. I'm not trying to be humble in this situation. I'm, I'm trying to boast in the fact that I'm in the right. I want to boast in the fact that I'm right and they're clearly in the wrong. I don't want to be humble in this situation. So you, I, I read this and I think, Peter, what are you talking about? This is so difficult. But then he keeps on going and he has the audacity to say, hey, and then do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, meaning insult for insult. He's saying, hey, like when, when evil is done to you or someone that you love, when you experience that, don't repay evil for evil. Don't return an insult for an insult. Don't, don't do those things. And I don't know about you, but when I, when I read this, I, I tend to think, Peter, are you, are you serious? Do you live in the real world? Have you ever been hurt? Have you ever been stabbed in the back? Have you ever been lied to? Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever been deceived? Have you ever been abused? Have you ever been taken advantage of? Have you ever seen that happen to anyone that you love? Are you serious? How do you dare tell us to, to not retaliate? How dare you tell us not to, to, to act in that way, to be unified, to be humble, to be tenderhearted? Are you, are you, are you kidding me? He says, yeah. That's what I'm calling you to do. So the Christian said, so, so what, what do we do instead? If we're not supposed to get even, if we're not supposed to retaliate, if we're not supposed to, to make them pay, then what do we do? He says, don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. You bless. I want you to bless. What on earth is that supposed to mean? Like, that's backwards, Right? And it gets even more back, backwards the more we understand what this word means. Um, this is the uh, Greek word, let me, pronounce this right, uh, eulogio. And eulogio, uh, Cody actually, actually talked about this word on Sunday. It's the word where we get the word eulogy from. And so it's a, a combination of Greek words. It, it means uh, good because the, the U means good in, in Greek. And then it comes from the word "lagos," which means word. So what he's literally saying is say good words. He said, hey, when you are insulted, don't insult back. You speak well. You say good words. And I read, read that, I'm thinking, what? Like, when we experience evil, when we experience insult, we, we say good words. We speak well. We, we, we say good things. We, we bless. Why? Now, I think we have to ask a very specific why. Not just white in general, but, but when he's talk, talking about the way that we respond to injustice, he, he can say a bunch of different things. He can say, hey, don't, don't take it into your hands. Leave it to God. Let God be the judge. Or he can say, hey, take it to the authorities. To the, there, there are people that God has placed um, over you guys for your protection. Like, take it to them. Take it to the people who can actually enact justice. He can say a bunch of different things. But he doesn't. He says, I want you to bless. I want you to say good words. I want you to speak well. I want you to, to make your words count. Out of all of the things that he could tell us to do, why does he talk about our words? Why does he talk about our tongue? I think there's a really simple answer for it. Because words are the most powerful force on the planet. Words are the most powerful force on the planet. Because with our words, we have the ability to bring life or to absolutely decimate so what he's saying is that you need to understand that you have an opportunity to use your words in a very specific way. And he's right. Words have tremendous power. Words have the ability to cut and they have the ability to heal. They have the ability to, to wound deeply and to create some scars. Yet words also have the ability to be that really cool, refreshing, healing balm that takes away the scars words led to the holocaust and words led to the abolition of slavery words led to the genocide in rwanda and words led to the ending of apartheid in south africa words have tremendous power and they can either bring life they can bring flourishing or they can bring death and destruction and in these moments when we experience Evil or injustice. When we see that take place, our natural inclination is to take out our greatest weapon and just let it rip. And he's saying, What I want for you is for you to understand the power of your tongue, the power of your words. And I want you to bless. Now, maybe you hear, hear, hear that and think, that sounds passive. Like that sounds so passive. Like, are we just supposed to like wink? at evil? Are we supposed to wink at injustice and pretend like it didn't happen? Right? Like, like, and just say nice things? Is that what he's asking? Like, if I'm in like a meeting at work, do I say, hey, Billy, thank you so much for questioning my credibility in front of our boss. Hey, I like your tie. Like, no. Like, or like, hey, Susie, thank you so much for making out with the guy that I have a massive crush on and you knew about, but your shoes are so cute. Like, that's not what he's saying, right? Like, just so we're clear, it's not this kind of passive, oh, like, I'm hurting, I'll just say nice things. No, he's saying you very actively choose to use your words to bring life when you could use your words to bring death. I think what's so convicting about this for me, is that he's not saying anything new. He's actually uh, completing a thought that he started in chapter 2. So let me, let me read this to you. In chapter 2, starting in verse uh, 21, he says, "For To this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. For he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Right, so what he's saying here is, hey, like, this isn't new stuff for you. This isn't new information. You should know these things. I'm telling you to be, to be active in blessing those who are committing injustice, who are doing evil, who are stabbing you in the back, who are betraying you, who are lying, who are deceiving, who are manipulating. I want you to bless those people with your word. I want you to bring life because that's exactly what our Savior did. And there's nothing passive about Jesus going to the cross. That is the most active, active love the world has ever. No, I mean, just, just think for a second the gravity of what Jesus did when he used his words on the cross. God in flesh, because our own sin created this massive fracture in our relationship with God because our sin just destroyed any right relationship we could ever hope for. Jesus became, man, he took on flesh. And so God in the flesh allowed his own creation to strip him naked, to beat him, to stick him on a tree and then hurl insults at him to mock him, and the entire time he's sitting there allowing his own creation to be idiots as he's dying for them, And what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. God, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. In that moment, he had every opportunity to hurl insults right back, to revile, to, to repay evil, didn't. There's nothing passive about that. And so what Peter is saying is, hey, I man, I know there are moments in life when you just feel like you've been robbed. And there's times when you're angry and you feel like someone needs to pay for what's been done. And he's saying, I get that. But if we follow Jesus like we say we do, And the way that we show that is that we take the same posture, that we use our words to bring life when we could just decimate everything and everyone around us. So the question is, how do we do that? If we're called in this passage to to not retaliate, to not uh, repay evil for evil or insult for insult, but instead to, to use our words to bring life and to bless, how on earth are we supposed to do that? It's a great question, so um, in the time that we have left, I want us to uh, talk about three specific ap- applications for how we use our words to, bre- to, to bless and bring bring life. Um, and the first is this, that we unify when we could divide. We use our words to bless by unifying when we could divide. And in, in verse eight, it says, I want y'all to have unity of mind. I want to have unity of mind. Um, That's difficult, right? Because again, I think in the moments when we see or we experience injustice of of any kind, there's this natural inclination just to create clear dividing lines, to say, hey, that's evil, I don't wanna be associated with evil, so we step back. Like, you're a liar, I'm not. You're deceptive, I'm not. You're manipulative. I'm not. And so we try to create these dividing lines. But we don't just create dividing lines. We use our words to widen that gap of division, right? And usually it's subtle. Usually it's really subtle things like, man, like, is it just me or is that guy just really manipulative? Like, I could be wrong, but, I man, like, did that seem like that? Yeah? Yeah, dude, I, I totally agree. Right? Or just just these little small little side conversations of like, man, that guy, like, I don't trust him. I don't know about you, but like that thing he did, it's kind of shady, right? Like, did you get like a shady vibe? You, no? Yeah, yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool, right? And so all these little tiny comments, we use our words to to, to create just even more division. Or maybe it's not subtle. Maybe it's just blatant. Like we're just walking around just talking trash because we want everyone to know when we've been wounded, when we've been hurt when we feel like there is massive injustice that needs to be t- taken care of that someone needs to pay what we do is we want to make sure that everybody knows that's divisive and it's divisive because it's inten- intentional we intentionally want to be divisive because we want people to know what peter's saying no, no 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 i want you to unify i want you to use your words that have every ability to divide i want you to use it to unify to bring people together And the reason that's so difficult is because it requires honest dialogue. It means walking up to people who have wounded us and saying, man, that really, really hurt. Like, what you did was not okay. I want you to to understand the gravity of what you did. That out of love, I want us to to make this right. I want to reconcile. I want to experience unity if we can. And that's so, so difficult. That's what we're called to that's what sets us apart as believers is that everyone can divide. Like dividing is easy. But to make the active decision to, to unify when it's easier to divide, man, that's what allows us to look more like Christ. So the first is that we unify when we could divide. But the second is this that we ask questions when you're tempted to just fill in the blanks. That we ask questions when we're tempted to just fill in. The blank. So in verse 8 again, it says that we are to have sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart. Um, when I'm wounded, right, when I see or experience some kind of injustice, the last thing that I want to do is be tender hearted. I want to be hard hearted. I don't want to be sympathetic. I don't want to be loving. And so oftentimes I'm not any of those things, but primarily, not because I don't want to, but it's because. I don't take the time to learn what's on the other side. You see, when, when we're wounded, there's something in our minds that kind of flips and we think, I have no category for why that person would do that. Or like, like if you've ever been deeply wounded or hurt, then you know there's this, there's this thing in your mind that you think, I don't know why they would do it. I don't know what would possess a person to take that kind of action. Like, that makes no sense to me. So what we naturally do is we start to write stories to make sense of what we don't understand. And so we just start filling in the blanks. And usually those blanks are really destructive, like I guess the only explanation is they're just a jerk. Just the only explanation is that they're a horrible person. Because only a horrible person would do those kinds of things, right? But instead, what we should be doing, is we should be using our words not to, to fill in the blanks or just to write some stories, but to actually ask questions. Say, hey, man, that makes no sense to me. I have no category for, for that kind of behavior, that kind of action. Will you explain to me what went through your mind? Will you explain to me what's actually happening here? Trying to get to a place where we experience this, this sympathy and this brotherly love and this tenderheartedness. Because sometimes there's actually an answer. Sometimes there's actually an answer that allows us to feel something for that person where all of a sudden our heart begins to soften and we think, okay, I don't like what happened, but at least it makes a little bit more sense. Sometimes there's not an explanation, but at least you know. At least you did the work of asking questions instead of filling in the blanks by yourself. But we don't know those things until we come to a place where we're willing to put down our metaphorical pen and stop filling in the blanks on our own and say, all right, help me understand what's missing here. I don't, I don't get it. I have no category for what's supposed to go here. And what I'm thinking goes here is not very good. So help me understand. And again, in doing that, what happens is that we look different. Like, that's really difficult. And so if you're in the room and, and you are tending to be uh, avoidant of conflict, that's going to be really, really hard. Actually, all of this is going to be really hard. Because there's something in us that says, I don't want to come face to face with the person that's wo- wounded me. I don't want to come face to face with the person that has hurt me. I want to distance myself. I don't want to find out. I don't want to do that work. But when we do it, when we choose to use our words in a life-giving way where we're seeking understanding, God does these amazing things, and oftentimes there's reconciliation that's available. And if there's not reconciliation, at least you know that you did the work of looking like Christ and trying to make amends, trying to be reconciled. But there's one last way that we can use our words to bring life, <clears throat> and it's that we exalt the name of Jesus without leveling the name of another. We exalt the name of Jesus without leveling the name of an another. Let me explain what what that means. In verse 15, Peter says, "But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense." To anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience." So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Um, so so this, this verse, this idea of, hey, like, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. This is a verse that's historically kind of been hijacked as this kind of general evangelism verse, right? And it's true. Like, we, we should always have an answer for the hope that we have. We should always be willing and, and ready to talk about the hope of the gospel. But as I was reading, there's, there's a really interesting follow-up here. He says, I want you to to always be ready to have an answer for the hope. That is, and you yet do it with gentleness, respect, and more specifically with a good conscience. Talk about your hope with a good conscience. If this was strictly about just telling people about Christ, there wouldn't really be a big need for a good conscience, hopefully. Right? So what's he talking about? Why on earth would we need a good conscience as we're talking about our hope? I think it's this. These are people that he's telling to endure. He's saying, hey, you are being persecuted from all these different angles. And what I'm asking is for you not to act like the rest of the world. I'm asking you to be humble, to be kind, to to be patient, to endure. And when you do that, someone at some point is going to ask you, say, hey, man, I I see you hurting over there. I saw what happened. I saw the way that guy stabbed you in the back. Man, how are you okay? Okay. How are you navigating this with such grace and such poise and such character? How are you you doing that? And what that does, that gives us an opportunity to talk about our God. So, man, I don't don't respond with retaliation because I have a God who didn't respond that way to me. He showed me grace that he laid down his life for me. He made a way for me to have reconciliation with him. And so, man, I... I'm just trying to live like that. I'm just trying to to make much of my God and, and, and reflect him because he has been gracious and merciful and patient and kind to me. I'm just trying to do the exact same. Right? What happens is that in that moment, we exalt the name of Christ. But what happens is that oftentimes we fall into this trap of believing that the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God can't stand on its own in comparison with the evil. What happens is that we think in order to exalt the name of Jesus, I have to level the name of somebody else. In order for people to see the glory of Jesus, I have to tell you how much of a dirtbag this person is. And when everyone knows the depths of this kind of evil, then this makes sense. And what he's saying is, no, no, I want you to talk about the hope that you have with gentleness and respect and with a good con- conscience. I want you to just, just talk about Jesus. Just talk about a God who is gracious and merciful and amazing. Like, they're fully aware of the injustice of they're asking. There's no need for us to, to, to exalt the name of Christ while simultaneously tearing down the people around us. But again, that's difficult stuff. Because again, there's just something in us that says, I want people to know. I want them to pay. I want to get even." yes, I buy the Jesus thing, but I've got to be honest, I want them to pay. What Peter's saying, man, there's a better way. There's a better way, and if we truly want to be people who look like Christ, then what happens is we need to come to a place where we're willing to use our words in a way that brings life and joy when we have every opportunity to bring death and destruction. And that's so difficult. Just imagine for a second Imagine what would happen if we were a people who actually took the word of God seriously enough to say, This is so backwards. This is so the opposite of everything I feel and everything that I want to do, but I'm going to trust it enough to be obedient to what God is calling me to. As Peter talks about this idea of, of exiles that, that, that were strangers in a foreign land, that were these kind of refugees and I have to believe that if we were to take the word of God seriously we would make much of our king when people saw that we were different when they saw that we were exiles that hey you look a little out of place it looks like this isn't your home what are you doing here, that when they see the way that we respond to evil and injustice, and whether we interact with people, that we're not people who retaliate, but we're people who understand the power of our words, and we make our words count, that when that happens, we make much of our king, and people marvel at the grace of our God. That's my hope, but at the end of the day, it just depends do we take the word of God seriously. My hope is that we do, that we speak life, we say good words when we have every opportunity to speak death and destruction. Let me pray. <clears throat> Father, I am so grateful that you have been so patient with me. Um, to be honest, I feel so much like a hypocrite up here, um, knowing that so much of my life has been spent using my words to, to, to divide rather than to bring unity, to, to, to make much of myself and my rightness as opposed to fighting for oneness and, and making much of you and showing people the grace and the mercy that you bestowed on us. Father, it's no it's no lie that you ask us to do something that's really, really difficult. Father, I ask that you give us the ability through the power of your Holy Spirit to fight against what just feels human, what feels natural, to seek revenge, to seek retaliation. Will you allow us to look like you grace, to show compassion, to be humble, to be tender-hearted in the face of injustice, just as Christ was humble and tender-hearted on the cross, taking the penalty for our sin. For may we look like Jesus in the way that we respond to the evil and injustice in this world. We love you. It's your name, son, we pray. Amen.